0: Thank you, Kevin, and worship team. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Uh, great to see you. Thanks for being here. And I want to add my uh, my uh, welcome and uh, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. My celebration, Happy Mother's Day. I'm missing the word. But for those who are moms, Happy Mother's Day to you. And we also recognize it's a hard day for some, as Kevin so well said earlier uh, as well. And as we think about moms, one of the things I think I know about moms, although I'm not a good mom or a mom at all, um, is that I think anyone who's ever wanted to be a mom has actually had uh, big ideas and hopes about what being a mom would mean. And this, I think, is one of the differences between boys and girls growing up, is that I, I rarely remember a time with my guy friends that we talked about being dads, But I do recall times when my sister would play with her girlfriends and there was a conversation around being a mom and what that would be like and playing with with kids and all that. And and I, I get that difference. There's something in there. I don't know what that is, but there are some differences that are there. and We recognize that. And so moms especially when you're thinking about having a kid, or if you're expecting a child now, or if you have just had a child, it is fresh and current for you, I think, and you can correct me later if I'm wrong, but I think that you have something in you that is looking forward to something big about your child, that you have a child not just so that you can change diapers for the rest of your life, but you actually have a child for something more than that, that there's a, a bigness to being a mom. There's this hope, and maybe for you, it was, oh, I can't wait to have kids So that in my family, these kids can grow up and they can get to know who my God is because my mom didn't do that for me. Or I can't wait to have kids because I would hope that the abuse of my past would be something that never gets passed on, and these can be children who are whole and healthy, and I can't wait to give them that gift. You know, Whatever it is for you that has drawn you into this vision of having your children and what you want for them, and the big hopes and dreams you have for your kids, I think that has been there for you as moms. It doesn't take long, I don't think, because I'm not a mom, but I'm a dad. It doesn't take long for mothering to be reduced down to changing the diapers, getting the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches together, making sure that everyone sleeps through the night, and scheduling soccer pickups and drop-offs over and over and over until your mind explodes. And it's funny... How things that can become so big, we can make them so small out of both convenience and control. Like we, we want to know, am I doing a good job as a mom? Is everyone taken care of? Does everyone have what they need? Is everyone well fed? And Out of convenience and control, I'm not blaming, I'm just acknowledging this is a part of life that we live in. That sometimes things that, become so, that are so big can become really, really small for us. Maybe another good illustration is um, the idea of love and marriage. There's some even here this morning who recently got married and some who are getting married this week, which is exciting for you guys. But if you've ever been in love with somebody or you know people who've been in love, you may remember this time where that love is almost intoxicating. I mean, it is. I I can't get enough of it. I can't spend enough time with you. Do we really need to go our separate ways? It's 2.30 in the morning, but the day has just started. Like We are engaged. I'm talking. And if you've ever been in a relationship like that or you've seen people like that, you know that that love stirs something in us that actually is bigger than ourselves it stirs something in us that makes us believe it or not braver than we are on our own that when your fiance or your boyfriend or girlfriend says to you you know what I think you should do here's what I think we should do I think when we get married we should move to a brand new state start a brand new job with a brand new career trajectory and you could be totally freaked out but you know what you'd say that's great like let's do that because I love you. And you're, you're drawn in by something way bigger than yourself to a relationship that moves you in a place that on your own you would never be. And it doesn't take long in that marriage, and you know marriages like this, where what has been big and bigger than the marriage actually gets reduced down to, again, what time are you going to be home from work? What time are the kids coming home? Where are we going to go this weekend? How are we going to do this with the family? How about this meal and that meal and this event and that event? And the things that actually stirred your heart, the things that actually made you passionate, the things that actually gave you courage, the things that gave you fearlessness, are kind of gone because it's no longer big. It's been reduced down to small, bite-sized portions. And here's what I want to say about this, that making big things small is actually bigger than you think. Making big things small is actually bigger than you think. Making things that are big, these passions, these hopes, these desires, the courage, the, the fearlessness of love, of parenting, even and especially this morning I want to talk about a faith, is a really big deal. That this idea that we have, if you come, come to a place where you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, this, this idea that um, there is somehow a God who is so much bigger than me, who has drawn me to know him, who wants me to know him, who loves me so deeply, who has changed this world that, that I may know him, that has sent his son Jesus Christ to draw me into relationship with him, that there has been maybe a time in your life when that is such a big idea, it, you would absolutely give your life for that. Maybe it was when you were younger at a youth retreat. Maybe it was when you were older and you had a, a, a coming-to-faith moment where there was something so big about this idea that you would, I mean you would go to the stake for it. It was drawing you in. It was bigger than you. It moved you to say, I'm going to give up that habit. I'm going to change the course of my life. I'm going to move. I'm going to give up this job. I'm going to do something else. I, I just need to give my whole life over to God. Like, it's just such a big idea. And big things, we need big things, because big things that are bigger than us change our hearts. And when we make big things big things small, the irony is, the older I get, here's what I realize, the older I get, the more I have the tendency to make things that are big, small, Out of convenience and control. Because I want to control the future. I want to control my faith. I want to control what impacts me or doesn't. And to my own demise, when I make big things small, when I make big things small, I actually lose so much of my heart. Can you relate to that? When I make big things small, I lose so much of the very thing that moved me in the first place. When I make faith equal to just showing up to church on a Sunday morning, singing a couple songs and getting through a message and move on from there. You know what doesn't happen? Bravery, courage, fearlessness. I'm not moved deeply by that because I can control that. Making big things small is actually bigger than we think because when I make my marriage just about what is on our calendar, when I make my parenting just about are the kids getting to the right places, and I forget there is way more to this life and way more to my kids and my marriage and my faith than just what's on my schedule. Then I cease to be moved and changed and challenged by anything that is going on in my schedule. And if you've found yourself in a spot where you feel like you've lost some passion, you've lost the heart of what has drawn you to God in the first place. It is possible, it is possible, that this idea of faith that at one time maybe was so big for you that it was actually bigger than you, you've kind of brought it down to these small bite-sized portions that you can control. And by doing so, you've actually stripped the heart out and are no longer moved because it's all within your control. And the things that are within our control, they never move us. They never move us from where we are to where we could be. It's a great irony. You know, Tim Keller wrote in the book, um, Center Church, he talked about a a little bird that fell out of the, the nest prematurely. If you can imagine this bird sitting on the 20 feet up in a tree in a nice little nest and fell out prematurely. And you know how that works with birds. They get pushed out of the nest and we hope they survive and, you know, maybe they fly. But imagine this bird falling down and hitting the ground with a thump. And not knowing yet what it really is capable of doing, because it landed too early. And as it is getting reoriented, kind of in a daze, it looks around and it sees a, a fox right, right in front of it. And the fox comes running toward it, and the bird, just out of default reaction, is like, I need to get out of this space. It turns around and runs back toward the tree, because there's a little hole in the bottom of the tree for the bird to come in. So the bird runs into the tree and is safe in the tree, which is great. And the fox is outside, and the bird is safe. And as time goes by, imagine if the bird thought, "This is life. mean I, I run out, things go wrong, I run back in, Run out, run back in, run out, run back in, run out, because this, this worked. <laughs> it worked the first time, maybe it can work again. And Keller makes the point, I think it's a powerful point, that it's very possible that for all of us that we have actually been wired and made by the gospel of good news to be birds who have wings that are made to fly, but. Possibly possibly, in our faith, we've learned to run and have gotten accustomed to running and think somehow that running is the natural thing that we are to do. But in this series called The Good News, I've been trying to help us see that we aren't just built to run, but we're actually built to fly. And in the the wings of the bird, there are two principles of good news that help us think about what we are made to do, that we are influenced both by the good news of Jesus, and by the work of being good to our neighbor. Both the common good and salvation. We are made to fly, but it's not too long until sometimes we realize it's pretty easy just to run. So what I want to do this morning with you is I want to look at those two wings of this little bird, if you will. I want to look at the two wings of the aircraft, of the good news. And I want to talk about, potentially, some ways that we can reduce the things that actually should be big, that should move our heart, that should challenge our faith, that should help us rethink the way that this world is working and our part in it. And in order to do that, I want to go to a little passage in um, a letter that Paul wrote. Paul was a a follower, an early follower of Jesus, but someone who at first didn't follow Jesus at all. He, in fact, was killing and and imprisoning people who did follow Jesus, and Paul um, ended up writing a letter to people in a small city called Ephesus. And there's a letter that he wrote. It's called Ephesians. And it's in the the right two-thirds of your Bible called the New Testament. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn there. If you don't own a Bible, there's one in the pew near you. I want to give that to you if you don't own one. Or you can look it up on your phone or your device. But Ephesians chapter 2 is where I want to go. And Paul is writing to this young church. And if you've been in the church, you know um, this passage most likely. If you haven't been, that's no problem at all. We're going to talk about it together this morning, but I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. And Paul is writing um, to churches trying to figure out what does what does faith look like and how can we express it um, in the world in which we live. And so he writes this in Ephesians chapter two, um, verses eight and nine. And and here's what it says in verses eight and nine. Four, and I have it up on the screen this morning too, in case you don't have a Bible on you. But Look in your Bible there. Okay. So for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, if you've been in church before, this is a verse that you have heard. These are verses that you have heard. If you haven't, now you've heard them, and you're in church, so now we're all on the same page. Good? Good. Now, check this out on the screen for a minute. I want to look at this with you for a second, because here's the interesting thing. Here's where I am in this message. I'm I'm wanting to look at two wings. I'm on one wing right now. Sometimes when we think about good news, uh, being people of good news, we think really that the biggest thing about coming to faith is that Jesus saved me, like that God has saved me. And the the idea of individual salvation and my personal well-being before God is indeed one of the wings of the airplane. I want to look at this for a minute. I want to ask... How is it, and do we, reduce this wing down to something that ceases to move our hearts anymore? So I want to go to this passage to kind of bring that out. So here's where this begins, and here's some big ideas in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace through faith. Those are such powerful ideas, and we talked about that in, in week two of the series. If you imagine the prodigal son running home and the dad coming to him and embracing him, I mean, it's the grace of the Father that moves us, and we tried to talk about that in week two, that really what has moved anyone to come to faith in Jesus has not been because they want to be good and awesome and obedient like the older brother. We are moved by the crazy grace of God, and then by faith, we say, that's all it takes. Like We just say, I, like, do you believe that? Yeah, okay, like you're in. You mean I don't have to do Anything more? Nope. You don't have to do anything. You have to prove it. Nope. Do I have to be consistent? Nope. Do I have to change? No. You don't have to change anything yet. You're just by grace through faith. Like this is the 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 ridiculous kind of low level entrance to a relationship with God by grace through faith. It's amazing. It's powerful, and it's also so hard to get our minds around. So this is this is the beginning. But then here's what the next part of the first phrase says. It's it's that you have been saved. Like you have been saved. That I have been saved. And here's what I want to jump into, that in a Western world in which we all live and, and embrace, in this world, it is not hard for us to think, well, then what you're saying is that salvation is primarily about me, like that it's about how I relate to God, that the biggest thing that I can be thinking about is how I relate to God, how I connect with him, because it's about how I, I've been saved. And so really, like, salvation is really about me and God, right? Like, isn't that what it's about? Like, God came to save me. And yes, there is truth to that, that, yeah you've been saved, you've been saved, there it is. But I also want to suggest this that there's actually more to it than that. And here's what I mean that if you think for a minute with me about people in the Old Testament, like an Abraham or even a Moses, but take Abraham for a minute. When you think about how Abraham related to God, and you think about how the Bible tells Abraham's story, as a man who basically, as he moved his family from one part of the world to the next, and then he became a powerful leader wealthy man, powerful leader. He, he helped establish an entire covenant. A whole group of people were blessed through him. He ended up dying, but he was like the father of an entire nation. Moses, he was born in, he was born in, uh, in Egypt. He lost his true parents and was raised in, in Pharaoh's court and later on killed the man, rebelled, and spent 40 years in the desert and came back to lead the people. We know Moses' story from the Exodus and how he did incredible things. And and then think of the prophets, for example. Prophets who were people who kind of called people back to God. Even think for a minute about Paul, when Paul was writing letters like this. Paul, in the New Testament, one of the greatest things about Paul is that he just—he was a crazy missionary. Like He just went over and over and over again to all these new cities, all this, the places in the modern world at the time, to talk about who in the world Jesus is. So here's the thing that I want to say. You look about people in the Scriptures. What I see in Abraham, what I see in Moses, even the prophets, even in Paul rarely, rarely, when you put all of the things that are said about them in balance... What we primarily see is that these characters, these people are are leaders. They are people who are moving others. The story of their relationship with God, their personal well-being before God, is not the primary account in the Scriptures. That We don't read in the book of Genesis, and we don't read when we read about Moses over and over and over again, that Abraham is somehow primarily concerned with how he is directly relating to God. We don't read over and over again about how Moses is concerned how he is directly relating to God. We don't read over and over again about Paul, like how he's concerned relating directly to God. In their stories, there are moments of personal reflection on their relationship with God. But primarily, the salvation that they've experienced... Is salvation that is expressed in, it is the story of leading and impacting the people who are not yet saved, the people who have yet to see the blessing of the salvation that they receive, that their salvation is not, the story isn't told so that we have an incredible time just seeing how they individually relate to God, but that their salvation impacts so many people. That while it is you who have been saved, it is you with a purpose, it's almost like a Texas y'all. Kind of a thing, like you've been saved for y'all. So here's what I, here, let me dry, drill this down. Here's what I think this means. Here's a low hanging fruit on this. When you think about what, what is it really that moves you in your faith right now? What is it really that, that kind of drives the faith that you have? What is it that you yearn for? And when I think about, for example, coming to church, right? Let's just talk about Grace Point Church for a minute. When I think about coming to church, here's what I think that if I have this vision of this this one wing over here, if my vision of my faith is that, you know, the biggest thing is how I relate to God. And so I'm going to come to church primarily for encouragement. Like, I want to be encouraged so that my relationship with God can be awesome. Like, I want to grow just in my relationship with God, and I just want that to be great. And if I see... Church, the songs that we sang earlier, the messages that you hear, the, the teaching that you experience, primarily, primarily, as encouraging, rather than equipping, then we've reduced the message of personal salvation to personal well-being. If I see my experience with church primarily as encouraging but not as equipping, we've reduced personal salvation to personal well-being. And the story of the patriarchs, the story of the people of our faith is not about personal well-being as much as it is salvation that impacts everybody. So when I come, and, and so hope has a name. We sang that song. It's a great song. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. We talked about amazing grace. We talked about those, there's healing in his hand. And so when I sing these songs, I have to ask myself the question, am I coming to church? Am I coming to church so that I can leave ready, so that I can leave equipped, so that I take what I'm hearing and the people who I talk with, the students that I interact with, my classmates, my teammates, my friends, people I work with, business leaders, uh, business owners, that I am equipped from here. I'm equipped from here because I have been saved, but I haven't been saved just for me. (laughs) That's never the way it was in the scriptures. That's not the way it was for Abraham. It's not the way it was for Moses. It's not the way it was for Paul. None of them were just about their personal well-being. They were saved, but they are equipped to do the work. And so the reduction of the gospel, making something big, small, happens personally when I say, you know what? I'm really here. I just need encouragement, and I get that. I'm all for encouragement. You hear me say that all the time, but encouragement is like giving courage to you. It's actually taking courage out of my pocket and giving you courage so that you can have courage to do something with the faith that you have. And so the reduction of making something big, small in our faith happens, first of all, on this level of saying, you know what, there are times for all of us, myself included, that I make my personal salvation primarily about my personal well-being and forget, nope, nope, no. Nope, that will never move me. That will never challenge me. That will never change me. It will never do that. It will be reduced to that and I can just come on a Sunday morning and I can check off the list, hit the church thing. We're going to do lunch afterwards for Mother's Day. Kids going to school tomorrow. We got things nailed down. Everything is brought down from what it should be to small, bite-sized portions and I can now control it. It's convenient. doesn't change my heart or move me, but I can control it. And the gospel is more than that. It is more than that. It's a bigger picture than that and I don't want for any of us to reduce it just down to personal well-being. So that's the one wing. The other wing, the other wing shows up in the very next verse. Not only are we saved, but we're also saved unto good works. So Paul keeps writing in Ephesians 2:10 and here's what he says over there. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. If we're going to fly through this world on the wings of faith, I just made that up. That sounds kind of like a Hallmark card for a minute. Okay. But if we're to fly through the world in the wings of faith, that there is an absolute truth to, to individual salvation, but it's not just for my personal well-being. I tried to make that case just now. But secondly, we're saved unto good works. Like We're, we're saved to do the kind of work that, that God made us do ahead of time. So look here for a minute, these words that magically turn yell. I want to talk about them. For we are God's workmanship. Then it goes on, created in Christ Jesus. He made up that workmanship word, by the way. That's a brand new word that he kind of coined, put that together. But it's this idea of a a workman in his shop. Uh, Some of you are woodworkers, some of you work with metal, some of you do other things, but you have an incredible skill set with your hands. If I were to ask you to make something and make it custom, you would do it. And that would be your workmanship. It would be your unique skill set come to bear on that thing. And that's kind of how Paul says, "That's, that's who you are. Like God, put you in the shop and kind of framed you up and made you just the way you are and put you out in this world. So you are a result of the creative craftsmanship of the maker created in Christ Jesus for the purpose, he goes on, for the purpose to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So when we kind of set you loose on the world, you're made to do what the creator made you to do. And so here's the thing on this other wing, that there are times... The, the, the reduction on this wing happens this way when the church wants to do good things, but the church forgets that the reason we're here to do good things is because we were made by the master craftsman. When the church disconnects from our God as creator, when we disconnect the gospel, the good news of Jesus from our good works, we become like any other ethical system out there when we are just being kind when we just are being friendly when we just do good works because others are doing it and disconnect from our our craftsman maker we are reducing we're reducing what we're really made for we're making a big thing small that we are to be kind we are to be loving we are to be honest and faithful we are to do good things but christians are actually made by the creator. And so when people who are made by a creator do things, but don't let people know, you know what, you know why I'm doing this? Because I was made by a creator. I was made, I was made by Christ. Like I, this is the reason I'm doing this in this community is because God has wired me to do this because I care about you and because Jesus loves you as well. Like I want you to know that. And as soon as the church disconnects from that, we make something big, small, and we become on par with any other ethical system. You know, you, Many of you know, because you're, you're, uh, you're around here a little bit, some of you may not know this, but the, the church is involved in um, a thing called the Together Initiative Network, and we have a lot of partners in our area that we're connecting with educationally, um, in, the, in the health world, um, dealing with poverty, dealing with the housing crisis in our community, um, at a pretty, pretty significant level for us at least. Uh, so we're, we're honored to play the role we play, um, but we also have to ask the question as a church, if this is true, that we, we have to do good works, but also attach to it the reason why we're doing the good works, how in the world do we do that? And there's some things that I don't know if you know we do that I want to tell you we do, because what we're trying to do is say, we want to do good works, but we also want people to know why in the world are we doing good works? And so just this past week, I came off with three weeks of a thing we called Spirituality 101 class at the Together Community Center at the factory building. About 12, 15 people in the room. Incredible conversations from a majority of folks in the room who uh, don't attend church anywhere or have been a part of that and kind of stepped back. Um, very honest and thoughtful conversations, incredibly challenging conversations too. And I also do weekly, I have uh, what's called pastoral office hours at the Factory Ministries at the Together Community Center because I want to be available for people in our community who come through the Factory Ministries um, just to have faith conversations. And uh, we work with our advocates at the Factory for that. And the reason is we want to tie in like Grace Point Church is here to help you with education, we're also here to help you connect with your faith and connect spiritually with, with what's going on. Because the need to tie in that we're not just like any other ethical system is significant for us. Otherwise, we reduce ourselves to nothing more than any other ethical system. Pick any uh, long standing organization, uh, educational facility, um, even hospital, uh, or even churches uh, who've been around for 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 years in our, in our country who started off with a faith-based, gospel-centric ministry, and then over time just, just fade away. And why is that? Part of the reason is because you, it's not hard. It's not hard to disconnect your kindness from the reason you're doing your kind thing in the first place, which for us as Christians is Ephesians 2.10. Like, the reason we're doing good works, well, that's how our craftsmen in the woodshop made us. Like, we've been made by that God to do this, so I'm going to tell you that along the way. I'll be honest with you, though, okay? I don't know if that should be news. I try to be honest with you generally. Um, That's okay. Anyway, that was funny. As if sometimes I don't try to be honest when I said generally. Um, It was a couple couple uh, weeks ago. Uh, I currently have the role of Together Initiative Network Chairman in our community, and um, what that means is I call together these these meetings of the the network, and the network is made up of about. 65 agencies and organizations working together for the common good in our community. so we have these larger gatherings every quarter, about 50-ish people in the room at the factory ministries. Um, And, you know, it was coming on the the heels, I think it was the weekend after, maybe the weekend after, um, Tanya Petersheim passed away. Uh, Tanya, if you don't know her, she um, used to sit right in the front row here, and one of the songs we sang this morning was one of her favorites, so I really did not appreciate that we sang that song this morning. Uh, Jan, it it was great. And I, I was going through a whole set of emotions um, uh, that weekend and, of course, that week when you lose a good friend like that. And as I was preparing to lead this meeting full of people in the room who are both professional peers um, and who come from a variety of faith backgrounds, uh, some not at all and, and some you know certainly of faith, uh, I was thinking, I, I need to be... I need to be honest with this group that I'm coming into this meeting heavy. Like I'm, I'm not coming in like I can't wait for this. I'm just I'm coming in heavy today, and you know what does that mean? And people know my role; they know what I do. So, like, well, what I want to do is in this gathering of what we call the virtual town square in our community. I'm I'm like (laughs) this. I want you to know why I'm doing what I do, and and so I took a few moments at the beginning of that meeting. I just said, listen, one of the most impactful things for me is, is when I go through times like this, and I shared Tanya's story briefly because they knew her a little bit, but I said, I, um, I'm reminded of a great truth in an ancient text that a guy named Moses wrote. and He said, you know, teach us. <laughs> teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I said, this truth from Moses found in Psalm 90 guides me. It helps me think through this time. It makes me realize that at times like this, you know what ultimately matters what ultimately lasts is, is truly love. Love wins over time. And the love that both Tanya had and also the love that you have in this this room for your community, the reason that you do what you do is not just because you need a paycheck, but because you love the people you serve. So that is what drives the network, and that is what drives this community. And moving a group of people who many of whom who don't have a faith connection into that space the reason i did that and i'll be honest with you there was nerves like is this the right thing or wrong thing to do and maybe you feel that way sometimes when you're working with people in your office who may not share the same faith background that you do how do i have these conversations without being offensive but without being afraid how can I get into this space intentionally? Because what I always want to do is I want to connect the work of the network, the work of our common good, the educational work which we do, which I believe in, the health work which we do, which I believe in, the housing poverty work that we do, which I believe in. I always want to connect it back to say, we're not just like any other ethical system. Like there's something here that drives us as Christians. And this is a, this is coming because Jesus loves us and that God loves us in this way. So this the reality is, it is not hard for the gospel to be reduced just to kindness. And while that's good, it is a reduction of what we were meant for, and as we were meant to do good works because of, because of our Creator. And so, if you can imagine our little bird for a minute, our little bird that's now learning to fly, I hope, on the one hand, it's like, well, it's not hard to think of salvation just for me personally. In my personal well-being. And it's also not hard just to be kind to people. And it's not hard for any of us to fall into either one of those categories of, well, I'm saved, Jesus loves me, go sing some awesome songs, been challenged Sunday morning, and then what's for lunch, and go through my week, and hopefully next week I can be encouraged again. Like, man, good, I hope so. But at the same time, what if it's more than that? What if the things that actually, the only things that actually ever, ever, ever move you are things that are way bigger than you What are things that will only ever stir your affections? Are things that you realize, shoot, I am so far out of my depth. I am so uncomfortable here. I have no desire to have this conversation. I don't think I'm a leader in my community. I don't think I'm a leader in my workplace. I don't think I can be a leader in my school. Not like him, not like her. I don't think I can do that, but what if, come on, what if you were saved for more than just your personal well-being? What if you like an Abraham, Moses, Paul, were saved to be a blessing to all the people that you interact with? What if you were called to do good deeds, not just because you're kind, which you are, but what if you're called to do those good deeds and link that into the gospel that has actually saved you? What if that flying is both realizing that you are called to be a blessing to all people, even as it's wicked uncomfortable to do that in any environment that you're in, and that your kindness is also linked in to the good news of Jesus, even though that is terribly uncomfortable when you do that, which is why I'm going back to this thing quick, that making big things small is a bigger deal than you think. When we make our faith so small, it's like, oh, hey, biggest conversation after church, man, how was the message? Was that good? That was good, man. That was great. That wasn't good. That was terrible. How about the music? It was too loud for me. I'm sorry, it was too loud. It was too quiet for me. Sorry, it was too quiet. Hey, it was hot in here. Did anyone know it was hot in here? When we reduce our faith down to my experience with, hey, how was my personal well-being this morning? Did that really kind of tickle my fancy this morning or did it not? It does not take long for you to lose your passion and lose your bravery and lose your courage to be the person, to be the Abraham, to be the Moses, to be the Paul that you're supposed to be, someone who's called into more than just my personal well-being. And I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to lose your heart. I don't want you to lose your passion. I don't want you to lose your faith like that. And I want you to, to step into that discomfort and be like, hmm, I'm to do good things for people. Not just because I'm a nice person, which you probably are, but I'm to do good things and help them at some point along the way see that the reason I'm doing this is, man, I was, I was built for this. <laughs> I was built for this. I was built by a God. I was built by, by a God who through Christ made me who I am. And so here's the last question. I'm going to leave this with you. I'm going to move on. I'm going to end, and then Happy Mother's Day. How do I respond when my faith collides with my comfort? That's a diagnostic question for you to consider. How do you respond? How do you respond when your faith collides with your comfort? Because when your faith collides with your comfort, when you feel like i be being, being stirred to, to talk to someone, to have a conversation, to volunteer for something, to step into something, I mean, Kristen and uh, no, Abby did an awesome job up here, but I know that they don't love standing in front of people and talking, but they did it, <laughs> they did it. When my faith collides with my comfort, what do I do? You talk to anyone going on the Dominican Republic team this year, about 35 people um, heading out there, I'm, over and over again, there's a discomfort with what God is leading me to do. There's an uncertainty of, I don't know if I can do this, number one, I don't know if I can raise all the money, I don't know if I can share my testimony, I don't know if I can go do that, that's way out of my comfort zone, man, good for you, and what are you gonna do? Go for it. Good for you. You know what that'll do? That's going to be bigger than you now. That's going to draw you in. That's going to move you in a way that being in control never will. So I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. Don't be that bird who just runs back to the tree. Don't be that bird who thinks, I can run. Why do I need to fly? Yeah, because you were built to fly. You were built to fly, and you were built to fly with God has saved you. Good. He saved you to be a blessing to all people. He has wired into you this good works thing. Do it and tie it into the fact that you are, you are a safe person, someone who, through the love of God, through the sacrifice of Christ, is here to serve people. And so, what are you going to do? What am I going to do when my faith collides with my comfort? Because every time I make a decision, every time I make a decision to make my faith smaller and reduce it, to come into church, responding to music, responding to a message, I begin to control it, and out of convenience, I can separate it, and it will never inspire you or move your heart or change the generation in which we live. So making big things... Small things is bigger than we think. Here's what I want to do next time we talk about this topic, which will be two weeks from now. I want to get into the fact that the church, the church, us, was actually made to be a sending church because we have a God who is a sending God. And so I want to talk about the character of God through the church and the next time we pick up good news. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be together this morning to come around this idea of the good news in balance to try to see that we are made to be people who are people of good news in our individual salvation that impacts and blesses all those around us and also ties in in the right ways, the fact that our kind deeds, the good works that we do, are because of how we have been made. And so I pray for us this morning as we really engage the question, I hope we engage this question, on what do I do when my faith and comfort collide? That you would give us this nudge, give us this step, this push to be drawn into something bigger, because only in that space, only in that area, will we ever grow, will we ever uh, have life, will we ever be brave, will we ever see you come through? It's only in that space that we are ever challenged at all. And so I pray that you would help us to continue to step into those spaces, realizing that you are a God who has done the very same thing for us. You extended yourself to come and send your son Jesus to die for us on the cross here. That you are God who is as we're about to sing here. You're mighty to save. You're mighty to save. You have done more for us than we can ever, ever, ever do on our own. And so I pray that even this closing song that we sing will be an equipping song, not just an encouraging song. That we can come ready to ask, how can I take what I sing about, what I learn about, and move it through my life to the people around me, not just into my life to sit, but through me. And so equip us, I would pray, to be men and women who see ourselves in this way despite all the discomfort and questions that it will bring. We love you and we ask you to keep drawing us into bigger things for you, we ask us in Jesus' name.